and Lord, that as we consider um, the story of the prophet Jonah and we consider how it might apply to world missions, uh, Lord, just that you would uh, speak to us through that, that you would show us how we can faithfully serve you in that area. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I got to say, I was a little bit nervous when PJ asked me to speak here tonight. Um, he first, I, I was coming to see if I could give an update about Japan, and he said, sure, and then he said, why don't you give the sermon too? And I was a little bit more hesitant about that. Uh, as some of you guys might know, I actually went to school with PJ um, when I was uh, in college, uh, undergrad. We both went to the master's college, and my first semester, uh, first year at the master's college, PJ was my assistant RA, so he was my small group leader. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I got to spend a lot of time with PJ during that time. And one of the things that PJ did was he invited uh, the members of the small group to uh, lead the small group, to give a, a little Bible talk. And uh, I remember my first time when I had to do that in PJ's small group. Um, I shared what I thought was a, a pretty good devotion. And afterward, PJ took me aside to give me some feedback. And it, I think it was the first time I'd ever gotten feedback like that. I'm going to paraphrase a bit. He was a little bit more tactful, but he basically told me that I had missed the entire point of that passage. <laughs> and that feedback has kind of haunted me every single time I prepare a message for the last 20 years. And now PJ has asked me to come and to preach at his church, and then he tells me that after the Sunday service, they have a time where they all give feedback on the, on the sermon. <laughs> So I'm looking forward to this. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, tonight I want to talk a little bit about the prophet Jonah. And um, I think if we look at Jonah and if we think about it a little bit, we can kind of look at him as sort of a prototypical missionary. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. He's from the nation of Israel. Uh, he delivers messages from God. And one day God tells him to go to a foreign country, to the land of Nineveh, uh, which was probably roughly 700 miles northeastish from where Israel was, and to deliver a message. He has a message for the people of Nineveh, uh, which is basically what missions is about, right? God sends us now uh, to go and to take the gospel to places where it hasn't been heard, uh, to deliver a message from God in, in these four nations. And here, back in the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, we see God's heart for the nations um, long before Christ came uh, during this period of time. And so I think it's kind of an interesting thing to look at. Um, when we think about Jonah as maybe one of the first missionaries in the Bible, we might also look at him as possibly one of the worst missionaries in the Bible in some ways. Uh, he didn't get off to a great start. Uh, God told him to go to Nineveh, again, 700 miles by land to the northeast. He gets on a boat to go something like 3,000 miles west to Tarshish over the ocean. Uh, so he goes completely the wrong direction. God sends a storm. God sends a whale or big fish. He gets swallowed up, eventually repents, and then finally on the second try gets to where God has for him to go. And that's more what he's famous for. Um, however, when we look at the story of Jonah, I think particularly for me as a missionary in a place uh, that is shown a lot of resistance to the gospel, there's a lot that we can take from this uh, story and find encouragement, a lot that we can find, um, I think, some applications when it comes to thinking about missions. While Jonah might have been one of the first missionaries and maybe one of the worst missionaries, the response to his preaching is something that I think every missionary would probably envy. You know, Jonah goes to Nineveh and he preaches a very short sermon, and yet out of that sermon, God immediately um, 
brings about a great revival in the, in the place of Nineveh. Uh, and that's something I think that I, I take a lot of encouragement from uh, serving in a place like Miyako in Japan. Um, but tonight, as we go through this for the next few minutes, I want to focus on Jonah chapters 3 and 4. So the last two chapters, we'll kind of skim through them and look at maybe three things that maybe we can take away from Jonah and his sort of job as a missionary uh, and talk about that. And so I think the first thing that I want to say about Jonah, that we can say about Jonah in this passage, uh, and this is a positive thing, is that at least eventually Jonah went to the place where God told him to go and he said the thing that God said, told, told him to say. Jonah was obedient, at least eventually. Again, this is on the second try. But if we look at Jonah chapter 3, uh, Looking at verses 1 through 4, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message I tell you. Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely great city, a three-day walk. Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In 40 days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. So Jonah, even though he wasn't too excited about going to Nineveh, um, at the very least, I think he did what is kind of the bare minimum requirement for missions. And that's that he went to the place where God told him to go, and he delivered the message that God gave him to, give, gave him to deliver. Um, and I think that's what we need to look at as our calling of missions. And that's, that's really what missions can be kind of boiled down to. Um, when we look at the nations today, um, Christ has given us this great commission. He has put the nations before us and sent us to go, and he has given us a message. Um, thankfully, the message that we have to give is a little bit longer than Jonah's message. Um, there's a little bit more hope involved in it. Uh, and yet it's a similar kind of ministry even today. Uh, God calls us to go to the place where he sends us and to, to, to deliver the message that he has for us. And this is what Jonah did. And probably reasoning from uh, what we know about Jonah, he probably didn't do much more than that. You know, his message, his sermon, if you can call it that, that's recorded in Jonah chapter 3 is less than 10 words long. And it's basically... God's going to destroy this city in 40 days, period. He, he doesn't talk about repentance. He doesn't talk about salvation. He doesn't give any hope. He simply delivers a message of God's judgment on the people for their sin. And yet, through that short message, one that Jonah, as we will soon learn, sincerely hoped would come to pass, um, despite Jonah's imperfections as a messenger, uh, despite the brevity of the message, by simply going where God told him to go and saying what God told him to say, God took that and he worked an absolutely amazing result. And we see that in the following verses. Starting in verse 5, it says, Then the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least. When word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles. No person or animal, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both people and animals must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and, his, and from his wrongdoing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. God saw their actions that they had, that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened with them. Threatened them with, and he did not do it. 
So this is the result that God works out of that, again, very short sermon from, jo from Jonah, very probably insincere sermon from Jonah, and yet despite that, God is faithful and he works out his salvation in an absolutely amazing way. You have the, the poorest person in Nineveh all the way up to the king himself. They're repenting, they're believing in God, they're confessing their sins, they're praying and calling out for salvation. And again, none of that was even in Jonah's message. God just gave Jonah this, this one tiny little sentence to say. He goes and proclaims it, and that's enough. That's all God needs to go and take it and to work about revival. And as a missionary in Japan, in a, in a city that has 50,000 people who, much like the people of Nineveh, are completely ignorant of God's grace or of his wrath, I would just am so envious of this preaching that Jonah had, to be able to see that response to my preaching in Miyako, to see that response anywhere in Japan, to see that happening, um, is just something that I, I can't even imagine. And yet, Jonah, even though that wasn't what he wanted, um, that was the work that God did uh, through him. And again, it started with his obedience. So I think that's the first thing we can at least acknowledge that Jonah was obedient to God. The second thing I think we can see about this um, is that in a manner of speaking, Jonah had great faith in God. Now, the way that that faith impacted his actions is not ideal, but at least we can say that I think that Jonah had a great faith in God. Um, we see that in the following verses. If you look at... Uh, verse, or chapter 4. If you skip over to chapter 4 and look at the first two verses, we see Jonah's response to God's salvation. It says, Jonah was greatly displeased and he became furious. He prayed to the Lord, Please, Lord, isn't this what I thought while I was still in my own country? That's why I fled towards Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. Jonah had a complete faith that God was going to do exactly what he did. Now, the result of that faith was that Jonah tried to stop it, um, but the fact that he had a faith that God was compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, that God was able to work the salvation of the people of Nineveh, a people who were the enemy of God's people, who were a violent nation, uh, a people who had no reason to believe Jonah. I mean, the thought that one man could just be walking into the middle of the city, raving about its destruction in 40 days, and somehow out of that, God would bring revival and save the entire nation, at least for a time, um, is unthinkable. And yet Jonah, Jonah wasn't surprised when that happened. When that happened, Jonah was like, I knew it. He didn't want it, but at least he believed it. And, and that, I think, is a faith that I often envy myself. Um, there's times when I walk through my city in Miyako, and I wonder, is God ever going to do anything? Are the people here ever going to have a chance to understand the gospel? Will they respond or will they be saved? And there's times when I, I question that. I don't have even the, the level of faith that Jonah had. And my hope, my prayer is that I can at least have the faith that Jonah had and that having that faith maybe wouldn't drive me in the same direction that it drove Jonah, but at least that I would have it in the same degree that Jonah had. And the hope would be that having a faith like that would push us towards the people that God loves, the, towards the people that God loves, uh, towards the nations who are waiting to hear the gospel, um, that we would have a confidence that he has uh, grace and compassion and love for the nations and that he desires us to go out and to proclaim his message there.
The third and final thing that I think we can take away from Jonah and is probably the most disheartening thing, but I think it serves as a warning to us. Uh, and that is that we see in Jonah's story, I think, that Jonah had a deeper care for his own comfort and his own ideals than for the loss that God was sending him to reach. And we see that in the final part of the book of Jonah when we reach the climax of it. And in response to Jonah's anger, God kind of brings an object lesson to Jonah. He goes through this 24-hour period of raising up a plant and then killing it in order to show Jonah uh, something about himself and something about to, to both show Jonah something about Jonah and to show Jonah something about God. Um, let's, let's read that last section of Jonah, uh, verses 5 through 11. Jonah left the city and found a place to the east of it. He made himself a shelter there and sat in its shade to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew over Jonah to provide shade for his head to rescue him from his trouble. Jonah was greatly pleased with the plant. And when dawn came the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and it withered. As the sun was rising, God appointed a scorching east wind. The sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he, had, so that he almost fainted and he wanted to die. He said, it's better for me to die than to live. Then God asked Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Yes, it's right, he replied. I'm angry enough to die. So the Lord said, you cared about the plant, but you did not labor over and did not grow. It appeared in a night and perished in a night. But may I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which, is, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as many animals? And it's with this sort of indictment that God closes the, the book of Jonah, and we end on that note. And from this, uh, God, again, kind of shines a, a sh puts a mirror before Jonah and allows Jonah to see into his own heart while also revealing um, what's in God's heart. Well, Jonah was concerned about his own ideologies, well, he was looking at the people of Nineveh with hatred and even probably a level of bigotry, uh, God had a completely different perspective. God looked at the people of Nineveh, and despite their violence, despite their wickedness, despite the um, fear that they instilled in his own people Israel, God looked on them with compassion and grace and pity. And out of that compassion, he sends Jonah to bring about this work of salvation in that generation. Jonah, on the other hand, preached the message and then was consumed with anger about a plant withering up and dying. Uh, at that time, Jonah was more concerned about his comfort, about something as simple as getting shade over his head than he was about the 120,000 people who had just repented at his preaching who had just seen this great work of salvation. And this is in spite of Jonah having been the recipient of God's salvation not too much longer, not too much before. Jonah had just been saved from the belly of a whale. He'd been experiencing firsthand God's grace and goodness in his own life. And yet, when he saw that same grace and goodness extended to the people of Nineveh, he was moved to anger and self-pity um, rather than being able to share in God's joy. And that's, I think, what the greatest danger is there. I mean, God, God is completely capable of succeeding in his plans. He doesn't need Jonah to be 100% on board with him to accomplish what he wanted to do in Nineveh. And in the end, God accomplished his purposes, and God saved the people that he was willing to save. And Jonah 
was left in despair. He was left in depression and, and ready to kill himself. Um, he could have shared in God's joy. He missed out on the opportunity to rejoice with God and to see uh, the work of God as an act of salvation and goodness and encouragement. Um, and again, like to see that kind of response uh, in our city is something that I think would just be the most phenomenal thing ever. And I think for most of us, uh, we would long to see God work in that way. And yet I think in Jonah's story, we can see that there is a danger there. There is a danger of uh, becoming so consumed with ourselves and so consumed with our own comforts that we might be missing out on God's heart for the nations. Um, we might get so wrapped up in things that happen in our day-to-day -day lives that if we could step back and look, we might see that it's no more significant than this little vine that was growing up over Jonah's head uh, when God has this great, amazing plan going on all around us that he wants us to be involved in. And so that's, I think, the final word of warning that we can take from this is that um, rather than having uh, a heart of selfishness and a heart that's consumed with our own comfort, uh, we should have a heart that is modeled after God's heart uh, that allows us to rejoice with the work that he's doing and that encourages us to go out and to be a part of it. So with that, I'd like to uh, close this in prayer. And again, just thank you for the chance to come and share a little bit tonight. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for this evening. I thank you, Lord, uh, for the work that you are doing uh, in the nations around the world, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God uh, that loves not only the people of Israel, that loves not only the people of America, but Lord, that you have a love for people in every country and in every place. And Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, the faith to know that you can save these people, Lord, that you can save the nations. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us um, the faith to, to obey you when you send us to go places, Lord, that we would go where you would send us and that we would proclaim the gospel that you've given us to proclaim. And Lord, I pray that you give us a heart that's modeled after your heart. Uh, Lord, that we would rejoice in seeing your work and that we would be drawn to be a part of it, Lord. God, I just thank you for this day and for this time. Praise these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.